Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. My name is Sean Catanese, level 2 from Sacramento, California. And I'm Ricky Hayashi, still level 3, unfortunately, from Davis. Unfortunately from Davis. I think you've just insulted all of our listeners from Davis. We don't have any. Okay, we probably do. We probably do. I hope we do. If you're there, I'm sorry. I'm going to tell my buddies to listen and that I insulted them. And... Okay, let's well, move on. you insulted on. their town, but yes... So, it's my town. I've been there for 22 <laughs> years now. Over two-thirds of my life in Davis. Most of it playing magic. So it's my magic town. Anyway, let's get on uh, with the topics for the day. What, what do we got? Let's just tell people what we're talking about. Sure. Well, today we want to go over a little bit about Grand Prix because there's one coming up next week right. close to us here in close Oakland. In California. We are starting the Pro Tour season with a Grand Prix and a Pro Tour in our state. Right. Lots of fun there. Only one week apart, which is nice that uh, Wizards has set that up that way. And also today, we'll talk about uh, some of the mail that we've got in, um, some interesting rulings coming from that mail. Um, And right before we get started with any of that stuff, I want to let you know. What's the email again, Sean? Oh, I was just just about to tell them. Wow. Thank you, Ricky, for that prompt. Um... Yes, our email here I'm is a pro. <laughs> <laughs> soon to be, if you make day two of Grand Prix, right? Well, we'll get to that. Our email here is judgecast at gmail.com. Always interested to hear your stories, your questions, uh, especially if they're rules related. So with that, we're getting into our mailbag first, and then we'll talk about Grand Prix, or do you want to do it re- reverse? Let's do the mail first. Okay, mail first. You've got mail! (laughs) Wow, I'm going to have to use that instead of the sound effect from AOL. I'm just going to have to do that. Um, Our first message was a question that we got from a listener uh, regarding two cards that have a pretty specific upkeep trigger. Um, And And these are both Zendikar block cards. Yes, both Zendikar block cards. Um, Vapor Snare and Living Tsunami. Uh, so, Most of us are familiar with Living Tsunami. It's that big 4-4 flyer. Right, the first pick in blue. Yeah, that you, uh, beginning your upkeep, you return a land to your hand, or you sacrifice it. Mm-hmm. So it helps with landfall, and it's just uh, hard to deal with flyer. And then Vapor Snare, basically the same trigger. The beginning of your upkeep, uh, sacrifice Vapor Snare, unless you return a land you control to your hand. And then the effect is that it's a control magic. You control enchanted creatures. So you play it on your opponent's guy, and then you have to return a land and give them their creature back. Right. And, and specifically, <clears throat> the question that we got uh, this week was from a listener saying, my opponent has played Vapor Snare on my living tsunami. So it's now his living tsunami. He goes to his upkeep and just skips it all. Just goes straight to untapping his land, then straight to drawing his card. And I immediately catch this. He's forgotten both triggers. Right. His opponent has missed both triggers. I, so this, this listener says, well, I immediately caught this and called a judge. How should the judge have resolved, resolved this? <laughs> so the first time I heard this question, my mind just kind of blew up. I was like, oh, no, come on. <laughs> right. Well, returning no lands is actually easier than another question yeah, yeah, that was yeah. proposed, which is what if this person returns one land? Right. Now, I don't want to make your head explode with that one just yet. <laughs> so let's go into, what if, so, what if this opponent returns no lands at all, misses both of those upkeep triggers, and goes straight to his draw step? Opponent calls him, calls a judge right away. What do we do about that? Well, it's not that simple, actually. Right? Okay, so you're saying for these types of triggers, there's a default action. There is. The default action, uh, for those listeners that don't know what a default action is, when a trigger says... If you don't do something, or unless you do something, that's called a, a default. And so um, it does the default if you fail to do the other action. Right. For instance... So these uh, both say sacrifice this unless you return a land. Right. If you don't return a land, you sacrifice this. Right. And it's the so. most famous uh, default triggers are probably the pacts from Future Sight. Um, <laughs> with the, you lose the game. That's your default. Um, <clears throat> unless you pay the mana. Correct. 
So those are the defaults. And normally how we deal with a default um, with a missed trigger like this is we'll say, well, we assume the default occurred. Um, if you miss your packed trigger, you lose the game. Um, similarly, we would say, well, if it's just your living tsunami without the vapor snare on it, say just simply your living tsunami and you forget to do that, then when we resolve that default, um, and by the way, we re resolve that default without using the stack. Um, when we resolve that default, we say, okay, well, you sacrificed it, so it's in the graveyard now. Um, and e Echo is the same thing, too. It's sacrifice it unless you pay the Echo cost. So right. If you forgot the Echo cost, you say, okay, you didn't pay the Echo, you sacrificed right. it. Right. So we, that's a pretty simple thing with just Living Tsunami. And it's also pretty simple with just Vapor Snare. Same idea. You yeah. sacrifice Vapor Snare. So that means that your opponent would get their creature back. Now the problem comes in when you have Living Tsunami and Vapor Snare. Um, because those two default actions both need to be resolved. The difference is that if you resolve Vapor Snare's default action first, then the Living Tsunami is no longer under the control of that player that missed that trigger. Right. And so that player can't, can't sacrifice, sacrifice. Yeah, can't sacrifice Living Tsunami. You, you can only sacrifice something that you control. Mm -hmm. So if it were stacked so that Living Tsunami is on the stack first and then Vapor Snare and you don't return a land for Vapor Snare. Well, Vapor Snare is sacrificed. Right. And then they get control back of Living Tsunami before the second trigger result. But there's a wrinkle there. These res this resolution of these missed triggers, we, we don't use the stack for applying the defaults. It says right there in the Infraction Procedure Guidelines, if the trigger has an instruction that specifies a default action associated with a choice made by the controller of the trigger, so usually it's something like, if you don't or unless, like we talked about. You resolve the default action immediately without using the stack. Oh, well that simplifies it. We can just sacrifice both. Well, okay. that's easy. Okay, that's <laughs> a, that seems really easy. Now, this listener, when they posed this question, said, well, you know, I'm catching this error yeah. on, on the part of my opponent. I'm, I'm the one fixing the game state here. I'm the one responsible for making sure we're not just playing an error for the rest of the game here because we've screwed this up. Mm -hmm. So shouldn't it benefit me somehow? Shouldn't it? Shouldn't I be able to be able to say, well, let me keep my tsunami? He's trying to get his tsunami back. Right. Hmm. Not really. <laughs> no, not really. I mean... and, and really, the, the best part of this is that you need to understand that we're playing... A legal game from here on out now that we've caught these missed triggers and applied the fix for it. So the wrinkle now is what if one land is returned, right? Is that the next that's iteration? The next, that's the next iteration. That was discussed what, what, in if, this what if that person returns? Oh, well, well, actually, before we get to the what if one land, right now, when you don't return any land, that's the, the penalty is also. Because normally when we go over this, this sort of scenario, we want to talk about the infraction, which is a missed trigger, mm -hmm. um, and then the penalty and how we would deal with the remedy. We've right. talked about the remedy, we've talked about the infraction. Yeah. The penalty for these is a warning. At, at um, competitive right, and competitive. professional rules enforcement level. Sure. Missed triggers are warnings. They're gameplay errors in that class of infraction. Now, the other neat thing about this is that you're actually getting, I would think, two warnings. One for each of the missed triggers. So, in that case, um, the player that, that caught it, because it, it was described as being caught immediately, you wouldn't get any sort of Warning for failure to maintain game state because you're catching it at your earliest possible instance. Mm -hmm. But then we're going into two warnings for missed triggers. Um, and that also means that a third warning for a missed trigger would be... A game loss. Right. Uh, as we've discussed in the past, for right. gameplay errors, at the third infraction, the upgrade is to a game loss. Right. Um, but I, I kind of want to go back. I think there are some judges that would argue on the side of only one warning in this situation. Because it's all the same time and it's all the... It, yeah, it's, because it's essentially the same thing that's being missed. I would say so. I mean, that if you if you caught one, then you'd probably catch the other. Mm -hmm. So that there's only really one opportunity for you to screw up. Here. The, there was a discussion similar to this, I believe, at Pro Tour Austin, amongst the judges, of something about Hedron Crabs. Like, I think if you have two Hedron Crabs mm -hmm. uh, and play a land... And don't mill. Because how, how many uh, warnings do you get? Is right. it one because you've just missed the same triggers, or do you get two because there are two separate actual triggered abilities that have been missed? Well, there's a difference between that and this situation, though, because you, while you do have the same cost for the trigger, 
mm-hmm. the same actions involved in the trigger, you have different cards producing them. Right. I think with a hedron crab and a hedron crab, you have you're missing hedron crab's trigger. Mm-hmm. Granted, you're missing it twice, but you're missing two of the same card doing the same thing. Here, you're missing two different cards that happen to have the same cost. For instance, if instead they just totally skip their upkeep, and instead of returning a land to hand, one of the costs was pay a cumulative upkeep cost by putting an age counter on something, or removing a, a time counter from something with suspend. Well, I mean, they're, they're different abilities, but philosophically, I feel that if you miss beginning of upkeep, upkeep triggers, mm. you've kind of missed one thing, right? You've missed the beginning of your upkeep. You just forgot all those things. Okay. Well, um, so it kind of goes to the root cause of why did we miss these triggers? Sure, sure. And it's just, you know, you rushed through your turn and you drew your card and started your turn and forgot them. See, I still kind of feel that these are two different missed triggers, two different things. But what's the official policy on this? Has there been an official resolution of that? I'm, I don't recall if there was a consensus. And there might be something if we dig through the IPG a little closer, do a closer read. Um, but my feeling is the philosophy is kind of we don't want to over-penalize. And if we catch a block of things that have a similar root cause, we want to try to go back to the root cause. Certainly I'm going to go back and read the IPG and check a little closer and make okay. sure on this. And maybe we'll have an update next week. Yeah. But we can also open this up to the listeners. I think both, that's a great idea. Both judges and players, and tell us what you think, because one of the important guiding principles behind judging is that we want to do things um, as players expect them to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if a player misses like five triggers at the beginning of his upkeep that are all different, but they're all beginning of upkeep triggers. Does know? he go straight to match loss? Yeah. Does he go straight that, to... <laughs> that doesn't... I don't think that would sit well with players, right? You know, it's just, I forgot them all and drew my card. Right, type right. Of thing. But, you know, let us know in the comments or via email what you guys think about this, you mm-hmm. know, about missing a block of things that are different but are essentially the same, same root cause. Okay. Well, that's great. So, so now we talk about the one land, right? Yeah, let's Going talk about back, one land. Yeah. If, if you have a uh, living tsunami enchanted with a vapor snare mm-hmm. and the player says, I'll return a land and goes to his draw and other things. The opponent says, well, wait a minute, you're supposed to return two lands. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what just happened there? Yeah, that's a very, <laughs> that's a tough situation because now you're, you're faced with this. Basically, the, I think the judge really needs to get into a, a deeper investigation here of, of the player and simply ask them in real terms, what did you mean to do when you were returning this? What card were you thinking of? What card yeah. was present in your mind yeah. when you performed that action in your upkeep? Mm-hmm. And if the if the answer to that is, oh, I meant vapor, vapor snare, or oh, I meant living tsunami, it, it, it that changes your outcome greatly. It also changes whether or not you believe what that player is saying, or if you believe that oh, they just realized what they'd done. They just realized that the outcome is extremely dependent on how they answer this question. Right. And, and they've even, just changed their answer or changed what they were thinking about. I mean, those sorts of things get into lying to a judge and all sorts of other right, other because bad it would areas. be it would be more you know advantageous to the player to say, "Oh, I returned it for vapor snare." Right, because then the living tsunami just dies instead of going over to their opponent. Right, because if he says he returned it for living tsunami, the vapor snare sinks. Right, um, and unfortunately, that's a situation where some a player might choose to lie about it. Mm-hmm up to the judge to investigate mm-hmm. and talk to the player. And like you said, if, if he believes the story. Right. And right. as a player, I mean, it's, it's important to be honest. And it's okay to say, like, I, I don't really know which one. <laughs> I, I just, you know, right. return and, and to land. In that case, what do we do? If, if the player says, you know, I just saw that I needed to return one. I, I, I know I need to do it for one of these cards. I thought I, you know, I forgot. I forgot one of them. I don't know which one, though. What do we do in that situation? I think in that situation, we have to let him choose. Hmm. There's not. I, is there is there some way that you can determine if he honestly doesn't know which one? Well, I can in his see, head. I can see an argument that because the living tsunami is not his card, he's going to be less aware of it. Nah, but he controls them both currently. That's true. 
That's true. I don't know that 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 the owner of the card as opposed to the controller can matter here. I mean, another argument I was thinking of is like which card is is on top of the other, right? Right. Which one? Again, that's that seems very very dicey. Mm-hmm. Based on that. So, yeah. if the player's honest and he says, oh, I was returning it for Living Tsunami, because, you know, you've played with that for three months and that's in your head as the, that, of that trigger, sure. then you go by that. If he says he doesn't know, you have to let him choose. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, I can understand that. That's, it doesn't, it, it does, like everything's some, not perfect right, in the world. It is a suboptimal it, resolution by, yeah, definitely a suboptimal resolution. And there, this is part of judging is that you can get in situations where it doesn't feel good, right? In, in terms of your heart, in terms of what's right. Um, I don't. I mean, it's correct, but it's not right. I guess. Yeah. The, there's sometimes the solution isn't a good solution. It's just the least bad one. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. Most important thing here is remember your triggers. <laughs> That's right. Remember those damn triggers. Remember that you can put a a marker on your library to remind yourself of beginning of upkeep triggers. Yes. Although I have seen players put a a marker on their library and then go to draw and just kind of move it out of the way because they're so impatient and they want to draw their card. And then they draw their card and go, oh, why was that on my library? Oh, yeah, I had a pact. (laughs) I've seen that happen. It's... uh, yeah, I don't know why you're putting markers on <laughs> if you're going to forget anyway. Well, the one that I have actually in, in my EDH deck for... Um, I, I run Pact of Negation in my uh, Rafik of the Many deck. <laughs> and my reminder for Pact of Negation is a small pin of Pact of Negation uh, that, that some of the distributors put out. To, huh. a pin with the art. With the art and the, the card wow. just in a little metal pin. I've taken the back off of it so it sits flat. Uh, set that on top of the library so when I look at it, I clearly remember what this was for. Yeah, and you you could even write on a piece of paper, right. packed of negation, and just stick that on top of your library. Absolutely. Now, you want to make sure it doesn't cover or obscure the top of the library sure. completely, but yeah. Like you a can, small scrap. Right. Not an 8.5 by 11 sheet. But. <laughs> I, I, you just reminded me by saying EDH and packed of negation of the time we're playing <laughs> Yes. Friend Inari. Yes, uh, that was. We had completely lost. He had some ridiculous. What, a zombie? Or... Yeah, he was using a zombie. He had a Reliquary Tower yeah, in play library with, with like 60 cards in hand. And he had played a Pact of Negation to stop something. Something trivial. <laughs> yeah, something trivial on, on my turn. Anyway. And then I took my turn and, uh, and then we passed to Inari. We we didn't say anything to each other, but we both knew this was our only chance of at victory, or at least defeating Anari. Right, and uh, I think our eyes kind of met quickly, and like, so you you started saying like, okay, at the beginning of your upkeep, or no, what did you do at the end of your turn? We we did oh. we did a couple things that were yeah. basically irrelevant interactions, but they were complicated enough that they took a couple seconds at the end of your turn. Yeah, saying, yeah. And, and so just kind the of, dis- difference. Oh, we're going to lose anyway. I might as well do this silly, right. irrelevant thing. Right. And so at the end of your turn, we had said, "Okay, well, I'll sp- I'll you know spend twenty mana on this stupid you know." Oh, you were putting you were putting helix counters on your helix pinnacle. That's what it was. Yes. It's that you're saying I'll put five. Awesome. After those resolve, season. I'll put three more. Oh, off of that, I'll put two more. You know, just doing it in in little spurts here because you pay X to do it. And then, um, and then I responded to one of those, I think, by, I can't remember what. But we went back and forth. And, and so, we got him. Right. <laughs> and, and as I soon was, as he drew his card for the turn, <laughs> we both jumped across the table. We're like, packed, you lose to packed. Yes, I think we pointed at him and said, <laughs> you lose. It was, a, it was uh, you know, funny. And he, and and he took it in, in good nature. Point. Yes, and Ari's, had a and Ari's taken it. a lot of our jibes in, in good nature. Um, including those for not yet being a judge and working toward that. But oh. that's, yeah. <laughs> He's listening, I'm sure. we got to work, work on that. Yeah, at, at his own pace. Okay. So let's move on. Did we have some other mail? Yes, we had, we had a, some mail about, um, well, takebacks, I think is the best way to put it. Somebody had emailed us um, to talk about 
how their opponent had played Sign in Blood targeting himself, uh -huh. and in the middle of resolving that, um, once he's set it down on the table, said, yeah, I'm targeting myself here, puts his hand on top of his library to draw those two cards, and then looks up and says, wait, what's your life at? Oh, it's at one. Okay, that Sign in Blood targets you. <laughs> and and the question from the listener is, well, how does the judge rule in this case? How do you work that out? All right, Sean, how do you work it <laughs> out? Well, if that player has allowed some sort of pause, allowed his opponent to respond to his choice, or given him an opportunity to respond to his choice of targets, because when you announce the spell and put it on the stack, you have to choose targets then. Then your opponent can decide whether or not they want to counter it or whether or not they want to react to it in some way, for mm -hmm. instance, by gaining life or by changing some aspect of their board position. Yeah. Um, once that opportunity has been made, the spell's been cast and it's on the stack and it has those targets. Certainly by the time that you're trying to resolve it, you know, in the middle of, hey, I'm going to put my hand on the library here, hey, I'm going to pick up the cards, certainly by then it's locked in. And I don't think you can change it by that. Yeah. I'm assuming, like, if his hand's on his library, there must have been some communication between them about the spell and the mm -hmm. result. And this is also where nonverbal communication can muddle things a little bit. But yeah, certainly by the time you're starting to resolve it, or you have the impression that it's starting to resolve, and that impression is shared by both players in terms of a, a pause and a procession with other events. Yeah. A, a pause or some finality to a decision. Right. Th this came up uh, maybe like a year and a half ago with Una, the legendary, big legendary fairy, where um, a player had targeted his, his opponent and said, I'll target with Una for X, you know, five, let's say, and I'll name, you know, black. No, I mean white. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, if you say it at kind of that pace, then we allow the player to make the change to white and sure. not hold into black. Because when you do it that quickly, there's no chance, you know, to gauge your opponent's reaction and change your mind about things. Right, right. But if you say something like, I'll tell you with Una for five, name black, look, you know, look at them, mm, white. That's different. Mm -hmm. Because your opponent might react in a happy way if you name black because you're not playing black or something. <laughs> right, and, right. And go, oh, okay. And, oh, no, no, wait, I'll change to white. Yeah. Um, so the, the amount of pause is important. And proper communication is important. Absolutely. If your opponent makes a choice, it behooves you to acknowledge it. Yeah. And one instance where I've had this come up was at regionals a couple of years ago where I was a judge and I walked over to a table that had called for a judge and the player was in the middle of shuffling up their deck after having cast Dragonstorm. And they had kind of stopped mid-shuffle when they realized that they'd picked out two... Bogart and Hellkite, because the storm count was just one spell before the dragon storm. Okay. So they get two, yeah, two, two dragons. dragons, and they had picked two Bogart and Hellkites, and their opponent was at 11. Right, so, so those can deal 10. <laughs> right, those can deal Almost 10. There. And instead, what that opponent wanted to do was, instead of picking one of the Bogart and Hellkites, pick one of the 6-6 six, six dragons Hunt, with a dragon. hunted dragon that makes the knight tokens. Yeah. He wanted to pick that one instead and be able to win that turn. Right. But because he'd already proceeded to the next action resolving the spell, mm -hmm. shuffling the deck, which is the next, the, the final part of the spell, aside from it going to the graveyard, I said, well, you've made your choices. You've put them into play. You haven't chosen targets for the triggers, because you know, Dragonstorm isn't completely resolved, but you've still chosen, and you need to continue with, with resolving Dragonstorm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a situation where the shortcut worked against him. Right. Storm, normally you would resolve one dragon storm, get a dragon, shuffle, shuffle your library, <laughs> and get the other dragon, but no one does that. Right. You right. just get all of however many. Yeah. But if he had gotten his first Hellkite and said, take five, okay, I'm at six, oh, okay, I'll get my hunted dragon now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's that's another instance there. So, so well, with searching, I think a common thing that you can do to protect yourself from kind of that final decision is to take the cards you're thinking about and you know, put them face down or put them at the, the top of your library that you're searching through. 
Absolutely. That's a great shortcut yeah. to use. A great, great tool rather than selecting them, revealing them to your opponent and putting them down face up. Or verbally say, you know, I'll let you know when I have my final choices. Right. Right. Both of those decisions. But if you just good. start pulling cards out and putting them on the table in front of your opponent, that does start to indicate that those are your choices. Right. Okay. So and, and very quickly, um, the beginning of the email asked about take backs on tapping and untapping lands. Yes. And this is just something we haven't really had to deal with in a long time. I think um, MTGO set the precedent that in, until an action takes place, like casting a spell, you can tap and untap your lands and fiddle with them however you want. Right, and you see that a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, you see that happen all the time. Yeah. Um, even at the pro levels, where people are, are tapping and untapping, not necessarily to elicit a reaction from the from an opponent, but tapping them, thinking, tapping them, trying to figure out... Because it helps out. to see physically which lands you're going to use. Exactly. what you have left over if it matches you know, what you need to cast later on. Right, like right. I need to leave two blue open, so I'll tap these, and you move them over and tap them and think about it. Right, it helps with the visualization. Now, one quick note also on all of this is that as you're doing these things, as you're searching out and considering cards, um, as you're tapping and untapping lands without actually doing anything else, be aware of slow play, because that's one of the things that, that judges a, hate to see. <laughs> and I'd hate to think that anything we're doing could encourage that. Yeah, that's a, that, is, that is a common way that people will play slowly, and maybe possibly even be stalling, mm-hmm. is via tapping the lands. Oh, I'm thinking of doing something. So. Right. Um, and, and so when you cast a spell, let's say after you cast it, at more competitive levels, you can't go back and say, oh, I want to tap differently. Right. At, at Friday Night Magic, I, I usually let my opponent do that. And that's one thing about all of these takebacks, is that unless you're allowing something illegal to happen, you can kind of set your own precedent as the players in the match. Of mm-hmm. what you let your opponent take back. Right. And yes. you can be as much of a, a hard ass as you want. Just know that it'll also apply to you when you screw up. Right. <laughs> we, we see that a lot. Is if you, if you call your opponent on something nitpicky later on in the match, when you try to get away with something, you're like, no, 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 you called me on this, I'm getting you back. Right. And, and that's where, you know, being friendly and letting someone get away with something that's not really relevant mm-hmm. can, be, can be a good tactic. You want to be friendly. What's with the your judge partner. shorthand for that? I think it's keep it. I mean, don't be a jerk. <laughs> don't be a jerk. That's. Oh yeah. Well, we have our new sign off, Ricky. Thank <laughs> you so much. Okay. Any other mail today? Um, yeah, we also had a question about two. Uh, actually, one card in Zendikar and one card in Worldwake, mm. um, and how they interact with. Um, some people perceive this as an interaction of uh, the new damage rules. It's really not. But it's something that we should still talk about. Okay. Um, Tell so, me more, Sean. Well, there are two vampires that we want to talk about here. One is Goldra's vampire, um, and the other is the one one that gets plus two plus one in fear or intimidate. Intimidate. Yes. <laughs> as long as you're an opponent, is it ten life or less? Correct. Okay. And ruthless Coldblade, which is a two one that gets plus two plus one. Giant giant vampire roach. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Giant Vampire Roach turns into a 4 2 um, and they, under the same conditions. Your opponent's at 10 or less. So, say I have one of, one of each of these vampires, yeah. and I attack, and get, one of them gets blocked by a 1 1. Yeah. And the other gets through and drops your opponent to 10, or will, off combat damage. Correct. The question is will the other one, the X1, being blocked by the 1 1, mm-hmm. live or die? Well, it's, it's a vampire, so it's undead, but whatever. In right. magic terms, it lives. Right. Because? Well, because you don't check state-based actions until the next time a player would receive priority. Right. And that is? Assum- assuming no first strike damage takes place, all of the combat damage is dealt simultaneously. Right. It's assigned and dealt the all unblocked in the same state. The unblocked guy takes your opponent to 10. Right. And the, the one ones deal one to each other. Mm-hmm. And then by the next time you check state-based actions, your opponent's at 10. Your vampire has grown. Right. And he's, you know, he's a 4-2 or a 3-2 with one damage. That's, right. that's cool. I'm stronger. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking blood. Right. So that vampire will live. Um, that's something that has come up for, for me in tournaments. Um, so I'm glad that this... I haven't seen it at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't come up so much in, uh, say, standard. But it does come up in, in sealed here. 
and again. Um, oh, so that's that's all we have really for the mail that came in. Uh, cool. that we wanted to talk about at least. Of course, um, we do get other communiques about people interested in finding their judges locally or learning about more about becoming a judge. Um, when questions can apply to a broader audience, of course, we'll talk about them here. Uh, if questions are pretty specific or specific to their situation, we'll, of course, respond to you individually um, as is appropriate. Um, but we do have sort of a... Do you think we should uh, read off the names in the mailbag, or is that... Well, I, I guess your thought on one that? of these is actually kind of interesting because it came from Australia. Oh. That's kind of cool, I thought. Okay. Yeah, so we're 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 transnational now. Got on the on the judge I mean, cast here. Do you think a shout out is appropriate? Well, I think so. I think Phil, we appreciate your questions right, definitely. You Phil from Australia. Yes, Phil, and uh, thanks for listening down under. Definitely and say hi to I don't know Mark Brown. He's he's the big L four in Australia. That's right, um, and also uh, Rune, uh, and Rune is. Doesn't say parts where, unknown. Parts unknown. Yes, we don't know exactly where you're from, but you've got some weird characters in your name. So hopefully, well, it's an interesting place. His last name. His last name is spelled in a way that makes me think he's European. Yes, and yes. and Rune, as we know, Rune Horvick used to be a big uh, European judge. Okay. Well, L5. so so from wherever you are in Europe, hopefully. And we and and you know, God forbid we actually He probably lives you know, in Japan. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And now we've just offended an entire continent here or just Well maybe. that's about par for the course for me, so Okay. <laughs> good, good. All right, um, let's move on, Sean. Sure let's thing. Let's talk about the Grand Prix Grand Prix Oakland. Grand Prix which Oakland for us as we record this now is a week away. Yes. Greatly anticipated. Yeah. First Grand Prix of the year. So what is a Grand Prix? Before we talk about Oakland specifically, <laughs> what is it? What is a Grand Prix for, for those of us that haven't gone too many or, I mean, you've gone to how many Grand Prix? I've, I've judged in 10 okay. and I've played in four. Okay. Wow. I have judged in one and I have played in one. Okay. Uh, so Grand Prix are professional events. There's money involved, a uh, total prize, I don't know. Each one, 10,000, 20,000? Something along those lines. It's not uh, a pro tour. 20, but I think it's... it might be around twenty to 30,000 total yeah. prize. Um, uh, but even though they're professional events, they're open. Open right. to the public. Anyone can sign up and play. In That's right. Prix. If you've never played Magic, if, you, if you're getting your DCI card at the event, you can still pay the entry yeah. fee and still play. And in the U.S. recently, uh, attendance at Grand Prix has been anywhere from about 800 to 1,500 for Boston last year. Mm -hmm. was the record. And then in Europe, they've been getting even more than that. Well, uh, Grand Prix Paris, Paris last year was the... almost 2,000, I think. I think it broke 2,000. I think it was the Very largest close. magic tournament on record. Yeah. And many of those Grand Prix in kind of centralized Europe get over 1,000. Right. Uh, in more remote areas... Maybe less. But the, these are nonetheless huge, huge events. They are two-day events. The main event spans Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then Friday afternoon to evening, there are Grand Prix trials firing all day. Right. So what's a trial, per se? What's, what, what does that mean? A trial is a tournament. Um, some are single elimination, some are Swiss, where the ultimate winner and or winners, depending on the size of the event, wins three buys. So that means you win your first three rounds yeah. at the actual Grand Prix. Yes, in the main event. Okay. You, your first three rounds, you get to take off and count as wins. And how many rounds is the main event usually? Um, with the sizes we're getting, they're nine rounds. It used to be eight, mm -hmm. but now I think almost all of them have been nine rounds on day one. Right. And then an X2 record, so in this case record of seven wins and two losses or better or better will get you into day two mm -hmm. so you come back on sunday and whoever made that cut plays in sunday for uh, i think six rounds mm -hmm. and then after the six rounds they cut to the top eight so that's the final standings mm -hmm. so anyone you know, one to 64 i think wins prize money Right, right. Top yeah. 16 get invited to the next pro tour. Right, and there's some the pro points are given out as well. Mm -hmm. And then they, they cut to the top eight and then play the single elimination top eight like you would at a PTQ. Right. Uh, if 
it's a limited event. So if it's a limited event, you play sealed on day one, and then day two, the six rounds will be divided into two three-round booster drafts. You cut to top eight, and then a top eight booster draft. Constructed, you just play your constructed deck the entire weekend, same deck. Right. And in addition to that, there are plenty of public events uh, besides the main event. You got eight-man, you know, booster drafts, eight-man constructeds firing constantly. There's always a PTQ Pro Tour qualifier on day two on Sunday, which will get two to three hundred people depending on the size of the Grand Prix. So not the best odds, but you also have a really diverse field. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And there will be other events. Um, typically, you might have like a standard event with a prize being uh, some kind of electronic device. Xbox or iPod. Yeah, those are great tournaments. Sometimes a Mox tournament. Yeah, you might see a vintage or a legacy event for some power pieces. Mm -hmm. I've also seen events for um, original art being given out. I think at a Grand Prix in Japan, they had a tournament for uh, the original art for the M10 Lightning Bolt, if I recall. That's pretty awesome. It got a huge draw. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Wow. And, and these are also um, mimicking or mirroring a lot of the public events that go on at Pro Tours also. Yeah, yeah. So a Grand Prix is like a small Pro Tour with a wider audience of possible and smaller in terms of the payout, smaller in yeah, terms yeah. Of, of the prestige and, and amount of sure. power, you know, amount of uh, Pro Points or anything like that that you get for right. it. Right. But it's, it's definitely uh, bigger than a Pro Tour in terms of how many people actually get to play. Oh, and one other thing about the Grand Prix coming up in Oakland and for the rest of 2010 here, is that everybody who plays gets something. Uh, you mean the, the promo card? The or? promo card, yeah. yes. Yeah, which is, it's like a pre-release when you show up and you pay your entry fee, and in your round one, usually, they'll give you your promo card, yeah, which this, is pretty awesome. This for year's the, nuts. Yeah. What's the, what's the card this it's year? It's uh, Umezawa's GK. Right, with alternate art all foiled yeah. out. A very relevant extended card. Absolutely. And foil versions, regular foil versions of $25, maybe. Oh, easily. Yeah. And you're looking at this being put in pretty much every EDH yeah. deck. This is, a, this is the second year in a row where they've had a fantastic promo card. Right. Last year it was Chrome Mox. Uh-huh. Another widely played card. Yeah. And before that, not so great. I think it was Call of the Herd. And mm-hmm. the year before that was Spiritmonger. So it's been getting a lot better. They've been yeah. picking better cards. Or cards that are relevant to a wider audience. I think the fact that it's an artifact and not a colorful card of a certain and, specific kind. And the price on these is not going to be 25 to $30 because no. you know the market's going to get flooded with a thousand of them <laughs> at every Grand Prix. Right. Now, in spite of that, um, I do have a friend here that's interested in, in playing in the Grand Prix with a deck of his completely own design. Uh, he calls it, give me my jet and I will leave. Uh, the deck consists of a 60-island main deck and a 15-island sideboard. So for him, it's worth it to enter the Grand Prix just to get the card. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That, that's perfectly acceptable. I'm sure the organizer will love it. And, but he can stick around for many of the public events. Absolutely. So you're, you're judging this Grand Prix in Oakland. Mm-hmm. I'm judging. And you said it's your second Grand Prix yep. as a judge. Your first was... First was down in L.A. that Los I that Angeles I judged last year, just about a year ago. Yep, just about a year ago. Um, that was my first big premiere event that I'd actually been a judge for, um, and then the only other uh, Grand Prix that I've played at uh, was the one that was billed as Grand Prix San Francisco. Actually, took place in San Jose, which is a city yeah. about an hour south of there. Um, again, played that and and completely scrubbed out. Uh, it was a terrible mm-hmm. terrible time. Probably one of the worst tournaments I've, I've been to, um, but, you know, didn't damper my enthusiasm <laughs> for trying it again sometime. So for those of you who are curious, this Grand Prix is taking place in the city of Oakland. Right. So no airport shenanigans fly into Oakland Airport. I guess you could fly into SFO and take the BART. Oh, yeah, absolutely. BART's pretty reliable mass transit system. Yeah. And so, Ricky, you're going to be playing in Grand Prix Oakland. That's right. And will you be playing in the first three rounds? <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> and how this, did that happen? Why are you just going to take losses in the first three rounds? Or this what? is this has been my my mission. You know, once I decided to play in the Grand Prix, I I have zero buys. So you can get buys through many means. Mm-hmm. Ratings, I believe, uh, constructed rating of eighteen hundred, nineteen hundred, or two thousand. 
Right, so that's um, one, two, and three yeah. buys, respectively. And then total rating of 1850, 1950, 2050. Sure. And also a pro club yeah, level? Yeah, pro player club, and maybe something else. Maybe like sure. a national champion. Um, but anyway, for me, my rating is down somewhere in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. I got zero, zero buys going into this event. So I have been playing in the trials, various trials around the state, to try to get some buys. We had a Grand Prix GPT at the PTQ a couple of weeks ago. Scrubbed out of that with my own concoction, which sucks. So the very next day in my hometown of Davis, there was one at Drums, Comics, and Cards. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I need these buys. I need to take this seriously <laughs> instead of playing my own deck. So I borrowed a Scapeshift deck from my friend Brian. Mm-hmm. And I made top eight. Yeah, and I was the head judge yes. for that event, in fact. And unfortunately, I lost in the semifinals mm-hmm. to the eventual winner. And it's yes. really unfortunate because if I had won the semifinal, I would have gotten the buys. Right, because, because the other finalist was Michael Sohn, a level one judge who's on staff for the Grand Prix. He was just playing you know, for the practice and the pack prize and pretty much would have conceded to anyone. Well, and let's talk a little bit about having players who don't intend to take the buys playing in the event. How do you feel about that? It's allowed, and it's perfectly fine. <laughs> if, if that weren't allowed, I probably wouldn't have my buys. I played in another Grand Prix trial down in San Jose at Superstars. Same deck, Scape Shift. Almost all foiled out now. Mm. I like my shinies. Uh, and, I, and I got there. I went 4.02 in the Swiss. And, then made, and this was a, a 40-some person event. So they gave out two sets of uh, three-round buys. So the two finalists both got by. So I made it through the Swiss and then won two rounds in the top eight and met Raptor, Josh Utterleighton, famous from Channel Fireball in the finals. And actually, initially, uh, he joked that he wanted to play for the, for the uh, pack prizes. He's right. like, are you serious? Like, I'm hungry. <laughs> I want to eat. He's <laughs> like, no, I'm not serious. Let's go. <laughs> and we, you know, we split the final pack prizes and right. both got our buys. As to your question, I mean... I got lucky in that I got paired up against Luis in the Swiss. So Luis, Luis Scott, Scott Vargas, Vargas who is... has three buys from everything. Right. Just to clarify, those of you who don't know who Luis Scott Vargas is, uh, former U.S. national champion. Pro Tour Berlin champion. Right. Basically. Three Grand Prix champion. Three time. One of the top players in the world. Um, certainly one of the top players in the U.S., Runs yeah. Channel Fireball. Lots of good stuff. And, and a good friend of mine because he lived in Davis. and We've played together for many, many years. Right. Um, so he's he's been playing in all of these GPTs despite having buys because mm-hmm. he's basically running interference for his friends like me. Right. So he, you know, and for practice as well. But if he gets paired against someone like me, he either will concede or mm-hmm. drew, we drew because it was the sixth round of Swiss. Right. And we were both uh, in a position where we could draw into the top eight anyway. Mm. And then I got paired up against him in the quarterfinals, the first round of the top eight, and mm. conceded to me because that's what he was there to do, was to help me out as a friend. Sure, sure. And so you're saying, you know, well, what about that? Right, right. what it's... about that? <laughs> For those players that don't have these superstar magic player friends, you know, they've got a harder time of it in terms of making it in there. Well, but on it every doesn't... other level right sure but it doesn't even have to be superstars you can just be friends right that's true and if let's say you're not planning on going to the grand prix or, or you're going to be a uh, you're going to be a judge in the grand prix mm-hmm. and you play in a trial and you're in a position to help a friend out by conceding to them because they will play in the grand prix and need the bonds right that's right. something you would be willing to do most likely for your friend that's true, and I, and part of that also is that there's more at stake than just the buys. I think if it was just the buys, it would be similar to how people who are qualified for a pro tour can't play in PTQs for the same pro tour. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no there's no way to guarantee who's got buys and who doesn't. You can't really check up on that too well, right? Because it's tied to ratings, and those can change. Those can fluctuate. Sure. I mean, there were some people who had two buys from rating. Like Raptor. Yeah. And we're playing. And he was playing for the third buy. 
But depending on how he does that day and how his rating fluctuates, he could possibly earn a third five view rating or lose his second one. Right. So uh, there's no real way, good way to lock that in and say if you have three buys, you can't play mm-hmm. in the GPP. In terms of the friends thing, um, I think that's one of the underrated social aspects of Magic is you'll make lots of friends. <laughs> and, and you'll okay. have people who you know, have an interest in seeing you do well that will help you. Right, right. Okay, well, I can see that perspective, yeah. definitely. And, and one of the things is... You know, even though you're doing stuff for friends, what we don't we don't want to see is obviously bribery or anything like that or collusion. Right. Saying, "Hey, if you concede to me, I'll give you all my prizes." All right. My hats. Right. Or like Luis or, and I didn't discuss anything like that. He just, as a friend, he said, "You know, I, I scooped you," mm-hmm. and we didn't talk about it afterwards. I, you know, I won three boxes. I haven't given him anything, mm-hmm. but as a friend, like if he needs stuff, I'm always there for him. Like if this tournament he says hey ricky i need these cards i try to help him out anyway so it's not really there's no quid pro quo just as friends we're always looking to help each other out right right and the, the quid pro quo is very careful very yeah. some something very much to, to look for and be wary of both in yourself not accidentally offering that yeah um, but also if you're hearing that around you the integrity of the tournament can easily be impaired and yeah. jeopardized by Folks doing that. So if you hear somebody make an offer like that, you definitely want to call a judge right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's different, we should also clarify, than a prize split. Sure. Um, that simply saying, well, regardless of the outcome of this, we'll split the, we'll split the prizes. Yeah. So quid pro quo means asking for something in exchange for a certain outcome. Right. Or and, offering something. And it usually involves some sort of material object or yeah. uh, tangible reward of some and, sort. And it is okay if you don't if you don't discuss or offer anything, to still give them something afterwards. Like, I would have been within my rights to say, hey, Louise, I appreciate you doing that for me. Like, here's a box mm-hmm. as part of my prize. We didn't discuss it or agree to that, but you can still give something if you feel appreciative of what they did for you. Sure. One thing also that these sorts of situations get investigated sometimes when we get into the bribery sort of yeah. schemes. And when an investigation happens, one thing to, to keep in mind, and this also uh, goes back to our discussion earlier about lying to a judge, mm-hmm. is that when an investigation is happening and a judge is trying to decide, well, do I disqualify this person or not, there's not a strict burden of proof for that judge to meet, such as what we have in the normal legal system in the U.S. where it's... Reasonable doubt. Right. Beyond a reasonable doubt for a jury to decide, okay, guilt or innocence. We don't have that as judges. Uh, We're given a lot more leeway in how we utilize our own judgment. And it's usually much closer to what's used in in civil cases here in the U.S., which is the preponderance of the evidence. Mm. So if I feel like there's a strong likelihood that this person did whatever disqualification-worthy event or action. Bribery, yeah. uh, Bribery or uh, lying to me as a judge, those sorts of things. If I feel that person has done those things and my gut tells me so, that's good enough. Yeah, and the important thing is not to give the judge any excuse to think that. Because I've heard of people say, well, isn't it okay for me to say, will you concede to me, I'm a generous guy? Right, you haven't oh. you haven't made a direct offer of I will give you X packs, but saying I'm a generous guy strongly that's... implies that you're you're gonna do something for them later. Right, and if you and didn't, that's... well, the, the, the test that I would think of as a judge for some situation like that is that if I didn't give somebody something after saying that, would they would the feel? As, yeah, would would that opponent feel as though I had broken my mm-hmm. word? Well, they'd be like, hey, I scooped to you. You said you're a generous guy. Where are my packs? Right. Is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So don't ever try to Jedi mind trick somebody out of a, into a concession yeah, with that sort of thing. Don't ever that, try to. Just, you, yeah. just, you, you go to the table and you say, you know, would you like to concede to me? That's it. I mean, you can yeah. explain the situation. Like, I really need these buys. Or, right. I would be very grateful. That's probably that's, that's, that's as, as yeah. close as I'd get to saying, you know, 
I'm but a the, generous but guy. But the generous thing strongly implies you're, right. you're going to give something. Because so you don't can also, go there. Right. You can say, I'm really thankful for this. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. That, that's, I can that doesn't imply it. Yeah. Right. But saying that, uh, say, yeah, when, saying you're generous just gets into such <laughs> a gray, dark, dark gray line that I, I just don't try it, folks. Really don't. Because I would hate to be on the other side of that investigation saying, Wow, he listened to my podcast, and he used exactly that language. Oh boy, you know this is. I, I mean, yeah. personally speaking, I would most likely DQ someone Absolutely. for saying I'm right. a generous guy. Yeah, that's that's a. Again, it yeah. depends on investigation and finding, sure. digging into a deeper intent. But mm-hmm. That does seem to point to the, the deeper intent of bribery. Absolutely. All right, so that's about me about playing. Right. I played in the GPT Scape Shift and. Had an amazing day. I was nervous all day. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to my seven lands and I look at my opponent's board and I'm like, dude, do I have it? Is there some way he could mess me up? No, I'll go for it. Well, you even did it one time off of Quicken, right? Yeah, that that's, that's just a card I was playing around with. That's a pretty cute, cool end of turn. Why are you giving away my deck? So I was gonna be. I know you got Quicken. I'm probably gonna take it out. Actually, yeah. No, the most impressive play I made. I had drawn. I had drawn um, too many mountains, right? Mm-hmm. And messed up. Right. I scape shifted for, for five. Oh no, for six, I'm sorry. And got two val- I was going to get two Valakids and four mountains, leaving two mountains in play. So mm-hmm. that those four mountains would trigger twice each off of the Valakids. And you sacrificed all your lands. I sacrificed my six lands, searched, found Valakids, found a mountain, mountain, mountain. The fourth mountain wasn't there because I had just drawn it. So uh-huh. I was like, I look at my hand, I'm like, oh god. So I get the I get the three mountains, two valakits, and I think a Bosaiju that I had sighted in. And uh, nothing triggered. My opponent's like, uh, so I take no damage? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I won that game through uh, beating down with wood elves and coiling oracles. Yeah, that's that's probably <laughs> that opponent's worst bad beat story going forward uh, for the next year. Yeah, he scape shifted. Yeah, he he totally he, whiffed he punted, on his beat me with one one. Beat me anyway. But he was a yeah. good he was good natured about it. Uh, someone his name is Charles. Someone who I've seen at PTQs and tournaments. Mm-hmm. And that, that's this is one of the reasons I like to play is to meet people on a more personal basis because I I see all these people at PTQs and I'm judging. But I have to maintain a certain professional distance. When I play, I can be a little friendlier, talk to them, get to know them better. Mm-hmm. And I think it really helps the, the judge-player interactions later on. I you know, have had many people from these interactions when I'm playing against them approach me later and inquire about becoming judges. We've certified a few. And, mm-hmm. and certainly I think it helps me uh, to manage a tournament if people know me and trust me more. Right, right. And that's actually a good thing for me too. That's worked the same way. Is when I've been playing in the F and M's, you know, somebody. If usually it happens after I beat somebody, they'll say, "Wow, okay, that was pretty awesome." Um, and you're a judge, right? Well, how do I become a judge too? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like an advertising opportunity. <laughs> yeah, of course. If you're losing every match, also, you know, chances are, well, first off, your opponents probably know the rules not so well as you as the rounds progress. Um, but then also, uh, it doesn't necessarily bode well for their perception of judges as good players either. <laughs> well, so one funny little joke is that Toby Elliott was there. He was playing in the release event in the sealed. And then um, after I, I won the trial, I went over and I was like, hey, Toby, I won the trial. Are you going to take over? Are you going to demote me to level two now? Because <laughs> that's kind of the joke amongst judges. Right, right. If you're If you're too good, you can't be good at both things right well and for instance Luis who is a judge Luis Scott Vargas we talked about earlier yeah it's a level one he's a level one so you know that's that's the inverse of <laughs> yeah. you know I, I don't know what Toby's rating is he's probably still definitely higher I than I believe me. he played on the Pro Tour once okay so rumor, rumor has it okay I'll keep my mouth shut then. <laughs> okay so let's talk about your Grand Prix experience how, how it's going to be being on the staff because I'm going to play mm-hmm. you're going to be on the staff right well, I'm tell definitely us, maintaining my distance from you. Tell, tell us what that's like. Well, it's actually 
some of the hardest, most fun work you can ever do. Um, it's hard work. Uh, people think, well, you're you're getting your hotel paid for, you're getting your time spent, you know, with all these other cool things. Aren't you getting these awesome foils for prizes? You know, and they're gifts, right? They're gifts. They're <laughs> gifts. Yes. And people people consider that and think about that and say, well, isn't that awesome? But it's hard work. But it's actually, yeah. I mean, you're on your feet all day, twelve hour days usually. So it's definitely a long, hard slog most days that, that you work for a Grand Prix. And, and probably the Pro Tour also. That's my first experience for that will be in San Diego. But working those sorts of premier events is usually hard on judges. I mean, you it's hard on players, too. <laughs> well, you, you don't just, think about us. You guys are sitting around <laughs> all day. You guys are sitting on your it's, butts in the it's chairs. It's stressful. I got stressed this weekend playing. You can eat whenever you want. You can relax. Not if I have a slow deck. <laughs> if you felt like if you felt like just walking away from it, you could, and there'd be minimal consequences. For a judge, that's certainly not the case. For a judge, it's you know, and you know this also because you've worked a ton of these events. But you know, you're part of a team, and you work together in a, in a very close knit fashion. You depend on one another. And it's a, it's a lot of hard work. I mean, that's what one of the things that happens in the solicitation when they when they ask people to volunteer to go to these events. They make it very clear that you're going to be working this whole time. I believe the phrase they use is, this is not a vacation. <laughs> right. This is not a vacation. Yes, you're being flown to Hawaii. No, you're not going to have a vacation. Like That's, you know. That's... I, yeah, I didn't see the beach <laughs> in Honolulu, and I think I got swine flu. I just moved like six inches away from Ricky now. Well, I got obviously I'm still alive and okay. I got over it. All right. But yeah. after the event, Andy Hecht sent out an email to all the judges and I think all the players too, right. saying, uh, "We think someone had swine flu at Pro Tour Honolulu, <laughs> so watch out." I was like, "Well, I did get sick the week after." Right. Right. Um, hopefully now that means I'm immune. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that is good. <laughs> So it's hard work. Yeah. Um, and and when, we, when we actually do go to Grand Prix Oakland, you'll be playing, I'll be judging. Hopefully we can bring this equipment with us so we can record our next episode of JudgeCast. Very nice. Um, in, we could get some special guests. Right, right. The head judge, hopefully, John head Carter. Judge, John Carter, level four, former uh, judge coordinator. Mm-hmm. One of my personal heroes. Uh, Toby Elliott will be there. We can finally put him on. Right, right. You'll Hopefully, get to... he hasn't been listening to all the fun I've been making of him. That's right. Ricky and I. Sung... What did I say last week that we were twice as sexy with Toby? Uh, you know, <laughs> I I think I might have cut that part out. I can't oh, remember. Are you going to cut this one out? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to leave this in. It's embarrassing enough for you that it's funny. I am. But uh, I think another guest we could have on possibly is James Elliott. Yes, famed level two Midwest traveler. Right, part he goes of, all over the place. Part of the uh, team over at Star City, uh, the Justice League. The Justice Love League. Love that right, name, right, right? And it's not just because I came up with it, <laughs> <laughs> but we could put him on the mic. Mm-hmm. His fantastic Scottish accent. Definitely. Okay, that was terrible, but you get the idea. Um, and you know, whoever else we come across. That may include some of you too. Uh, if Players, you a, yeah, absolutely. If you have a question about. Uh, judging or a question about an interaction that's come up that you'd like a judge's explanation on and you think it's broad enough that other people would benefit from hearing it, by all means, we'll definitely talk about it. Yeah. You guys should bother Sean all weekend. (laughs) Don't bother me. I need to concentrate on my playing. You'll basically probably see us set up in one corner of one of the... That's good. Acoustics and Grand Prix locations are very bad. I think we're going to need to find some kind of side room. We'll figure something out, yeah. yeah. If nothing else, we can record this, at, you know, afterward, you know, hotel room Saturday night or something like that. You know, the acoustics in there might be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, nonetheless, we definitely do want to get some raw input to Grand Prix for, um, and this will also go for, hopefully, for Pro Tour San Diego. That's going to be even busier. Right, right. Well, but I, I, there's some scheduled downtime. In there for some of the judges, yeah. you know. So there's maybe some time where you can actually, and we'll certainly know. have more opportunity for special guests. Absolutely. So from the judges. So community. stay tuned in the future here. Um, you hopefully, semi live from various locations. Coming right. Up. Right. 
taking JudgeCast on the road. So we'll hopefully uh, see you then. And if we don't see you, hopefully we'll hear from you on the emails. Again, JudgeCast at gmail.com. Please send us your questions. Send us your uh, your thoughts. Yeah, and uh, you know, sign, sign it off with your name and where you're from, and I think we will continue to give shout-outs. That's right. That's right. I think people like to hear their name. Hey, yeah, that's me, type of thing. Totally. I totally. would. I, isn't that why you're doing this? <laughs> wow. No, there's more to it than that. Of course, of course. Doing it for the babes. For the, oh, that's right. By the way, anybody listening? Oh, God. Ricky is single. Please, uh. please, just make sure that anything you send him is tasteful. <laughs> You're the one who's going to check the emails. <laughs> well, no. Okay, so judgecast at gmail.com. Um, please, no solicitations for Ricky. We'll figure some other... <laughs> I'll, I'll find out if Ricky is single at gmail.com is available. We'll put that out there instead. I hate you. <laughs> well, Go to the wrap-up. <laughs> Go to the closing. <laughs> With that, this is Sean. And right now I feel like I'm keeping it fun. Well, now you just <laughs> completely set, set me off my rocker. Well, so am, am I keeping it fair? Okay, this is Sean and Ricky together. Keeping it fair. And keeping it fun. Thanks for listening. We'd also like to thank our sponsors. Well, we don't have any sponsors. If you're interested, contact us. But really, uh, we would like to thank the folks that make it possible for these sounds to reach your ears. And that includes the folks over at mtgcast.com and also mananation.com. They've been really helpful in letting us spread the word and get JudgeCast out to listeners. Um, We'd also like to thank uh, Music Alley, who provide us with pod-safe music so that the artists that we uh, use for music here don't sue our butts. Um, Those artists, by the way, are Carbon Lake, one of my favorite bands. (laughs) 